Vatican Viewpoint, the church in the world seen from Rome. A podcast produced by Vatican Radio. I'm your host, Devin Watkins. This is the first time since 1553 that a papal representative will have been in the abbey for the coronation. A coronation, as in the crowning of a king. The liturgy itself is profoundly Catholic in its style because it involves an anointing with holy oil. This week on Vatican Viewpoint, we're talking about the coronation of Charles III as King of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, which takes place on May 6, 2023. We'll hear from the British Ambassador to the Holy See and the head of the Benedictine monks in England to take a look at the ecumenical and religious elements of the coronation ceremony. So the Vatican sent a delegation in 1953, but that delegation had a stand built for it outside the west door of Westminster Abbey. Ambassador Chris Trott there. He represents King Charles and the British government at the Holy See. The last coronation of a British monarch was 70 years ago when Queen Elizabeth II took the throne. A few things have changed since then. So there was an archbishop, I think it was the archbishop who was nuncio in Belgium, who was sent by the Pope to be there. But he had to sit on this platform outside. So when the service started, the doors closed and he was still outside. But why was that? Last time when Queen Elizabeth was crowned, the Vatican's approach was not to allow members of the church to participate in a ceremony run by a different Christian denomination. This time, Cardinal Secretary of State Pietro Parolin, the Vatican's top diplomat, will represent Pope Francis at King Charles's coronation, and he will be inside Westminster Abbey. And that's not because of British government policy, but it is a result of Vatican II. Uh, so on this occasion, now that Vatican II has allowed senior members of the Catholic Church to be present in the Abbey, the delegation will be actually part of the coronation service, as I say, for the first time in almost 500 years. Quite a long time. So I think he might have a plus one. Cardinal Parolin's plus one will likely be the brand new apostolic nuncio to Great Britain, Archbishop Miguel Buendia, who was appointed to the post in mid-April. We're hoping that he will arrive in the next couple of days and will therefore be able to accompany the Cardinal at the coronation. Before we look at other aspects of the coronation, let's zoom in on the anointing of the new king, a practice which dates back to biblical times. One classic example is the prophet Samuel's anointing of King David as recounted in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him, he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. The liturgy itself, the heart of the liturgy, is an Anglican liturgy. 
which cannot really be changed without a lot of complexity. That's Abbot Christopher Jamison. He's the Abbot President of the English Benedictines. He'll walk us through the coronation liturgy. This liturgy is so old, it's probably about a thousand years old in its essential outlines, that no king of England dared change it for fear of being considered invalidly crowned. As the abbot says, the ancient coronation liturgy survived the Protestant Reformation and the split of the Anglican Church from the Catholic Church in 1534 under King Henry VIII. For me, what's really interesting, though, is there's an inner tension within the liturgy itself between the Protestant tradition of the Anglican Church and the Catholic tradition of the Anglican Church. So, Abbot, can you give us an example of the Protestant elements? So, first of all, the king early on in the ceremony will have to swear an oath saying, I swear before God that I am a faithful Protestant and that I will uphold the Protestant laws and traditions of this country. And that was introduced in 1689 to the ceremony to ensure that no Catholic could become king. So it's a pretty strongly anti-Catholic element in in the liturgy. You're listening to Vatican Viewpoint. We're taking a look at the coronation liturgy for King Charles III of the United Kingdom. This is the only liturgy, official liturgy of the Church of England that uses holy oil. And that's quite striking, really. Abbot Jameson is walking us through the Catholic roots of the coronation liturgy. The liturgy itself is profoundly Catholic in its style because it involves an anointing with holy oil. The Anglican liturgy does not use holy oil in the way that the Catholic liturgy does. So, for example, we use chrism at baptism and at confirmation, and we use consecrated oil too for ordination of a priest or a bishop. But the Anglican Church's rites for those sacraments do not contain the use of oil. So in spite of the Reformation and so on, the holy oil was kept in the coronation liturgy. And I think it's a continuation with the Catholic liturgy because, of course, as we know in the Middle Ages, coronation was considered a sacrament within the Catholic tradition. And so it's got this profoundly sacramental element, which has, of course, profound resonance with the Catholic tradition. The anointing of King Charles III will be a very private part of the liturgy, with screens placed around him and the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who will do the honours according to Ambassador Trott. My understanding is that the anointing is not just head, it's also chest. The sacred oil used for the anointing comes from the olive groves on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem and was blessed by the Orthodox Patriarch of Jerusalem. The reason is that King Charles's grandmother was Greek Orthodox and is herself buried on the Mount of Olives. It is, in a way, a sacred ceremony, and this oil is blessed by a small group of religious leaders in Jerusalem who made this oil. It comes from the Holy Land, although at Charles's personal request, this year it's going to be vegan, whereas in the past it has included animal products. It is a little bit like a blessing for a priest, and this reflects the promises that the king makes to God as opposed to just to his people. Among King Charles's many titles are Defender of the Faith and Supreme Governor of the Church of England. But like his mother before him, Queen Elizabeth II, the new king has great respect for people of other creeds and of none at all, says Abbot Jamison. So either side of the main liturgy 
the beginning and the end of the ceremony, there are significant ecumenical elements that have been introduced for the first time. So the ceremony begins with a procession of flags of the different nations of the Commonwealth, and there will be representatives there of different religious communities, obviously. And the procession will be led by the British flag will be carried by our Hindu prime minister. So there's already a big statement. Then at the end of the ceremony, there will be a blessing pronounced by the leaders of the different Christian churches, including Cardinal Nichols, who will be the first cardinal to participate in a coronation liturgy since the 16th century. At the end of the liturgy, Cardinal Vincent Nichols, the Catholic Archbishop of Westminster, will join the heads of other Christian churches to pray together the blessing of King Charles and all the people. Now let's go back to Ambassador Trott for one more ecumenical example. I think King Charles himself has done a lot, not just with other faiths, but also in the ecumenical sort of Christian Union area, in his dialogue with the Catholic Church, in his dialogue with other Christian denominations in the UK. There is one ecumenical element of the coronation that few people know about. Pope Francis recently sent two small wooden fragments of the true cross, that's the one on which Christ was crucified, to King Charles III to mark the centenary of the Anglican Church in Wales. The relics of the true cross will lead the procession at the beginning of the coronation. There was a really striking gesture made by Pope Francis in the run-up to the coronation with this gift of a piece of the true cross. And that gift has been incorporated in this beautiful Welsh cross that will be used to lead the coronation procession into the abbey. So there is already, I think, a sense that there is this mutual respect and therefore will be a continued engagement at the top level. Thank you for joining us here on Vatican Viewpoint. We'll be back again next week. 